Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Joseva Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today I have a spe- special guest. His name is Eric Paquette, and he is a travel expert and runs a website and a podcast at brothers.com. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jasper. It's great to be here. Sorry, can you give us a little bit of background of yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started working uh, as an entrepreneur. I, I got done with university and, and really didn't want to go the, the traditional route and, and get a job where I was going to be stuck in the same place. And uh, so I, I started to travel. I spent a lot of time traveling around South America and you know, realized that I, I needed to find a way to, to be able to sustain that travel and, and make a little bit of money. And so I got into to using frequent flyer points to um, you know, to earn and redeem frequent flyer points for travel and discovered that it was possible to save a huge amount on airfare, um, you know, pay a really small amount of what they, they sell tickets for by, by using those frequent flyer points. And so um, early this year, I started a, a company to try and help other people uh, do the same thing, had kind of built up a whole bunch of friends and family members that I was, I was working with on this and just saw a really big opportunity to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Great. And um, since this is kind of your specialty, before we get into Airbnb, I know you have a ton of advice, especially for people who are U.S. citizens, but also for those who live in other countries. Could you could you maybe dive into um, the, some of the specifics of how can people uh, save uh, the most money on using those points? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the first thing to consider, the, the easiest way to acquire points if you are a U.S. citizen or, or have a social security number in the U.S. is that the banks are offering really big frequent flyer bonuses for signing up for cards. So the, the big financial institutions, especially in the U.S., but also in some other places in the U.K. and Australia um, and Canada, they, they have this really high lifetime value of customer. And so they're using frequent flyer points as a, as a tool to acquire new business. And so they buy these points in bulk from the airlines and they give them out as a one-time sign-up bonus to get you to sign up for their card. And so what you can do to, to sort of 80-20 earning the, the most points possible is you sign up for a couple cards in a, in a set of applications and you can earn you know, 100 to 150,000 frequent flyer points in a couple of months. And that's enough for, you know, for example, you're in, you're in Rio right now. And uh, if you do it at the right time of year, you can get a one-way to Rio for 20,000 points. So, you know, a couple of credit card signups and you've got like five one-ways back and forth from, from Rio to, to the U.S., um, and there's a lot of other good deals to other places around the world. Okay, and you can sign up for as many credit cards if you want, or isn't that uh, expensive? Don't you have like annual fees? Yeah, so there's there's a few parts of it that you have to manage, and that's that's um, you know part of the reason why we've spent so much time trying to develop. Um, strategies for for doing this in a way that's sustainable, right? Because you know, it's great to get some free travel, but you want to protect your credit, number one, and you want to also make sure that 
um, you know, it's something that you can do over, over the long run. And so sort of the key things are, um, you can't apply for too many cards at once. So usually two or three is, is the maximum that you'd want to apply for at one time. And one of the tricks is actually to apply for all the cards on the same day because the banks report uh, those applications to the credit bureaus at the end of the business day. And so if you do them all at once, uh, each bank doesn't see that you've applied to the other banks as well. So they think they're the only one. Um, and so you can sort of do that. You do a, a set of applications and then you wait. And you, you probably want to wait around three months before you do another set. So basically you're looking at you know, doing this three or four times a year. Uh, and that's enough to earn, you know, depending on how much money you spend, uh, it's enough to earn 200,000 to a half a million miles a year pretty easily. So every year you, you apply for a new credit card. Yeah. So actually, you know, every, every three to four months, I'll apply for a group of two or three credit cards. Um, and so the key thing, a lot of people ask about this, you know, like whether it hurts your credit and it's, it's one of the biggest misunderstandings. Um, I'm not sure why the system's set up this way, but um, applying for new cards actually doesn't doesn't hurt your credit very much at all. There's a small sort of deduction that they take right when you apply because the banks recognize that if you're looking for new credit, it could be a, a possible indication that you're you're a riskier customer. But over over the big picture, they're really looking at how much total credit you have available and how you're using it. So, for example, if you've got a couple of cards and maybe your total credit limit's twenty thousand um, dollars, and you're only using ten percent of that, so you're you're just spending two thousand dollars at the most and then paying it off, the banks look at you and see that you're they think you're really responsible. And so, over the long run, actually building up credit and establishing relationships with lots of different lenders, so with the different banks, American Express and Citibank and Chase. Um, doing that actually improves your credit over the long run, but it's really important. Like you don't want to get out there and just go crazy and sign up for like eight or 10 cards. Cause that definitely will hurt your credit. Uh, you got to kind of take your time and, and pace yourself. And, and when, once you get all those points, like what's the most efficient way of, of using those? Cause you can, you can, you know, you can use them for flights and I've used miles quite a bit in my, uh, you know, do my travels and I've noticed that, uh, what a flight is not always the same amount of points. Sometimes a flight is like ten thousand, and then it could be twenty or thirty thousand, depending on how many people have booked the mileage seats. Is that correct? The complexity is one of the reasons that the opportunity exists here, right? You know, if it was really easy to use your miles, everybody'd sort of be getting the same value, and and there wouldn't be any of those kind of oversized opportunities. And so, um, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One of them is that. Different airlines are different types of points. So each airline sort of has their own point currency. Um, and each of them has a different system for pricing. And sometimes they do it based on distance, so how far you're flying. And sometimes they do it based on regions. So like if you're flying from the US to Europe, that's, that's one set of regions. Or US to Asia is a different one. And so if you sort of can, can get an overall picture of the different pricings across a couple of different programs, it makes it possible to sort of use the points that get you the best deal. Um, you know, for the particular trip you want. So it's, it's really something that you kind of want to start with your travel goals and then work backwards and figure out which, which airlines have, have the right pricing to get there. The other thing to keep in mind about it is that airlines do change their prices based on how many seats they're selling. So obviously they don't want to give away those free seats if they think they can sell them, especially the business and first class ones that run, you know, two or three thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Right, and there's there's basically two ways you can use miles, right? You can either buy a flight or you can get an upgrade. 
Yeah, that's totally true. Um, the upgrade is something that I don't do a ton of just because, um, you know, if you, if you have enough points, it's, it's a lot cheaper to, to buy, you know, just use the miles to get the whole flight. But there are definitely some really good opportunities where, you know, you find a, an economy ticket or something that's not as expensive and you can use your miles to, to upgrade to business class or first class. Yeah, because I remember one time I flew from Singapore to Amsterdam and I had an economy ticket and I don't know why, but for some reason I got an offer to to upgrade to uh, to business class for like 5,000 miles or something like that. It was it was really, really cheap. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a great deal. Yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was pretty sweet because it was uh, Singapore Airlines and, or no, it was Lufthansa and it was the A380. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was pretty sweet flying business class for... You know, just for a little bit of extra, extra miles. Yeah, that's such a cool aircraft too. Uh, those those are some pretty impressive. There's there's pretty, a lot of diversity in the way that the different airlines are laying those out in terms of where they're putting their first and business class and how many what kind of seats they have. So uh, it's a really cool experience if you have an opportunity. I definitely recommend trying to do business or first class on on one of those flights. Uh, so yeah, so as I said before, there's a, a couple of other countries that, that do have opportunities with the banks as well. So if you happen to live in, in Canada or the UK or Australia, there are definitely some opportunities to kind of get bigger sign-up bonuses uh, and kind of get a stockpile of miles that way. But the thing that you, you need to keep track of as well is that most airlines still award points for flying and for the most part based on how far you fly. And so you know, if you're in a position where you're traveling quite a bit for work or for business um, or just, you know, a couple of vacations a year, those points definitely can add up. And so it pays to sort of pay attention to, um, you know, the important things that you have to do is you, you need to be signed up for the airline's frequent flyer program before you take your flight. Otherwise, they won't give you credit. Um, and you want to credit your points all to one program. And so there's basically the airlines are organized into three big alliances. And if you generally, if you fly with one of the alliance members, you can credit your points to any of their partner airlines programs. And so the key there is that with almost all these programs, you have to have enough points to, to make the minimum price of the redemption. So, you know, if it costs 50,000 points to get from, from the U.S. to Asia, you can't pay 40,000 points and pay the difference in cash. And so that's something to keep in mind if you're, if you're trying to sort of get to that critical level where you have enough to make the trip that you want. And so you want to try and credit all of your paid flying, all of your travel that you're doing anyways, to the same airline program so that you're kind of accumulating all your points in one place. Uh, and then redeem, you know, for your travel from there. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, uh, Eric, let's talk about Airbnb. What's your experience with Airbnb and how did you, how did you find out about them? Uh, so I, you know, started using Airbnb, I think probably pretty close to the time that, that they came out. I think I was one of the early adopters. I, I used Airbnb quite a bit in Europe um, and also, uh, a lot in, in Buenos Aires and, and in various places in Brazil and just, you know, really, really love the, the concepts and the model. I thought that, it, you know, it matched my, my travel lifestyle quite a bit better. I'm not very much of a hostile person anymore. And so, you know, to sort of be able to get your own place was, was, you know, revolutionary for me and, and, you know, definitely added a lot of comfort to my travels. 
And so now I'm, you know, sort of looking at, at opportunities because I've, I've met with so many great hosts, you know, people that really had their, their operation put together well and, um, you know, offered a ton of value to their guests. And so, you know, I think now that I've traveled quite a bit, uh, I've seen a lot of arbitrage opportunities where, you know, the Airbnb market is way above what the, the local markets are. And so, you know, just those sort of, there's a lot of places where, where I think you can make a lot of money. Right, and uh, we'll talk about that more in in a second. But first, um, did you have any like really good or, or bad experiences as a as a traveler on Airbnb? Fort yeah, it's a great question. Fortunately, I haven't really had any any bad experiences. Um, I had an awesome experience in Berlin. Two of them actually uh, on the same trip. I, I stayed sort of over in the on the west side of town, um, and. The, the owner had kind of packaged in some some bikes some bicycles uh, for for our use during the the time we were staying there and that was just you know that was such a huge value add Berlin's a big bicycle city anyways and it just made it possible to get out and and see a lot it was in a really good location um, and they you know they just sort of took care of all the little stuff there was there was kind of all the amenities that you you would need coffee maker and you know extra stuff you know um, and so you know I think that was really good and then the the other one I ended up finding it just a complete deal on, on the east side of Germany. Um, and they, they had, you know, it was like a, a six story walk up because the elevator was broken. And so we ended up getting the, this like three bedroom place for like 20 euros a night uh, and just had a, had a blast. Those are, those are probably the two most memorable, but you know, I must've stayed in, in 20 or 30 now. So I've had a lot of really good experiences. Okay, great. So you've, you stayed at a lot of places. Um, so most of our listeners are, are actually every new host. So do you have any advice for, for them from the perspective of, of the customer? Uh, well, I mean, I think, I, you know, I've listened to your show quite a bit. And I think, you know, the things that you guys talk about are, are really important. I mean, obviously, the communication, I think I'm probably a lot less stressed out as a traveler than maybe your average Airbnb visitor. And so, you know, in general, I think that, you know, making people feel secure that they're, they're going to have a place to stay when they get there. Um, and also, you know, I, I think that one of the biggest value adds is, is having some sort of guide, you know, assuming that, you know, more than, than just the average visitor about the place that they're, they're coming to, uh, it makes such a huge difference to just have, even if it's just your neighborhood, you know, you don't have to go over the board and, and have a city guide put together. But if you know, the people down the street at the cafe are just good people. And, you know, you know, a couple of great local joints, um, you know, if you can provide that information and, and maybe even sort of uh, you know, give somebody a car, grab, grab some business cards from some of your favorite businesses and just let the people know, um, you know, that are running those restaurants or cafes or, or bars or whatever that, you know, you've got some people coming into town that are staying and, you know, you'd appreciate if they could show them a good time. If, if you've got connections with, with some of the locals and you can kind of identify your, your tenants, I did have that happen to me with, with somebody in Brazil. He sort of had a, just like a set of cards. He was like, this is the great bar. This is a place where you can get breakfast. And he gave us a card and, you know, they were set up for like a small discount or something like that. But it was much more than just the discount. You know, it was the, the impact of having somebody that was like, oh, you're staying at, at Paolo's place. That's, that's so awesome. And, you know, just immediately feeling like you've got a friend. I think that's a, that's a huge value add and not too hard to do. Yeah, definitely. Because then that makes you feel like you're part of the neighborhood, part of, you're like a local, right? Versus being a tourist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely great great advice. 
And um, I, I personally send out a guidebook to my guests and always get uh, a lot of positive feedback from that. So it's, it's really, I agree, it's really important because if, you're, if you visit an unknown uh, area, um, it's very hard to find those good spots, right? Because there's so many tourist traps, especially in, in tourist uh, areas. And um, yeah, it, it sucks because like having a good meal and trying like the local food is one of the best experiences you can have as a traveler. So it, I, I always feel really bad if I, if I eat at a restaurant and it turns out to be like pretty bad. And um, so, so yeah, it's, it's great to have some good recommendations. Yeah, it's so disappointing. You know, you have such a limited time in a lot of cases to, to know a place and, you know, you're only eating so many times a day. And so, you know, just those, those parts of the experience, it, it really makes a difference to, to get pointed in the right direction. Absolutely. All right. So you were talking about some opportunities that you see in South America where you can, um, you can do an arbitrage where you rent a local uh, place and then you put it on Airbnb, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and most specifically, I mean, I think the one that I'm sort of furthest along in, in kind of uh, going into the uh, evaluating the idea is, is Brazil. Um, you know the the local market there is is a little bit challenging for for folks that don't speak Portuguese. It's definitely not impossible to crack. So you know you don't don't need to go in there thinking like if I don't speak Portuguese, this isn't an opportunity for me. Um, but the rates that that if you look at the the local newspapers and you look at you know a couple of sites, uh, the ones that come to mind are, are Aluguel Temporada and Easy Quarto. Uh, those are the local Brazilian sites, and you can find a place to rent using those sites um, for much, much cheaper than, than what's available on Airbnb. And on top of that, the inventory of Airbnb is really, really low. I mean, I remember just last year I was looking for, for a place in Rio and just didn't, didn't really want I wanted the simplicity of Airbnb. You know, a lot of times one of the things with these, these Brazilian sites is you're almost always going to have to pay cash. Um, and you know, I like being able to put it on a credit card and I like the simplicity of booking online and not having to, you know, have more than a, just a conversation by text. So I was trying to find the Airbnb place and, you know, there were maybe like six or seven available in all of Copacabana at that point. And, you know, maybe just a few others in, in Ipanema, which are the two, two main beaches and like a really great place to stay if you want to get to know Rio. And so I just kind of, at that point realized, you know, I went and started looking on, on the local sites and saw hundreds. And so just realize that, um, you know, there's not enough people in Brazil that are taking advantage of the opportunity. Right. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. And um, how, how would you go about um, setting something up like this? Because I know there's a lot of people who are thinking about doing a similar thing. And, uh, you know, as Airbnb gets more well-known and people started realizing, you know, all the opportunities that are out there. I think there's a lot of people who are who have this 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 idea in mind. So, what would your strategy be? Yeah, I th I think that you're definitely right that it's it's going in that direction that people are sort of discovering Airbnb and and it's not going to necessarily stay that way forever. But you know, you guys talk a lot about um, you know with your guests about the importance of building a reputation and establishing yourself, and so. I do think that getting in now and and really starting to to work on those important things, getting getting great reviews, facilitating an awesome customer experience, even when the Brazilian, you know, more of the locals or other other entrepreneurs, you know, hustlers get on board in, in that market, I think that you're gonna have a really valuable head start. 
Um, and so, I, you know, I think to, as sort of a framework, um, the, the most important thing is, is that you need to find a, a property owner that's going to be on board, you know, that's going to be okay with you having, uh, having people coming into the house. Um, cause that, you know, that definitely could be a problem. That was actually something I wanted to kind of ask you about and, and how you sort of go through and, and vet people or, or, um, you know, evaluate that, that possibility of, of being in a spot where the neighbors have a problem with it or, or somebody that has, you know, some sort of influence in the, at the property is going to, is going to make an issue. Yeah. It's, this is something that's being discussed a lot on, on different forums and different places. Um, because everybody has the same question, you know, am I going to tell the landlord or am I not going to tell the landlord? Now, if you do mm -hmm. tell the landlord, there's a good chance that he's going to say no, unless you find a way to convince him that there's a lot of opportunities also for your landlord and you know one way to make it more attractive is you can pay a little bit more rent or another thing you can do is you can invest a little bit in the property because that's going to help you make more money on airbnb anyway and and this is what uh what what jago Gorilla, he's a guy in Buenos Aires. we had him on the show uh a while back and he manages three apartments in, in Buenos Aires and he found landlords that were willing to let him do it but they initially they didn't like it but then he sort of convinced them and because the most important reason why landlords don't want to do this is because there's very little upside for them and there's some per, uh, perceived downside and the perceived downside is that they think that you know, letting random people from the internet into their house is gonna damage their house. So you have to think, you have to think, you know, look at it from their perspective, like what's in it for them, and you have to sort of mitigate the risk. Now, what's interesting is that I actually think putting a place on Airbnb is better for your property than having a long-term renter, just because the person who manages the apartment is going to always make sure the apartment is, is in good state because otherwise you're losing out, right? It's, it, it's a business. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you don't, Absolutely. you don't see any like hotels. Uh, well, the hotels that are doing well where it, you know, the outside looks crappy or like it needs a layer of paint or, you know, the bed's broken or something like that. That doesn't happen because then you're out of business. So that's the first thing, uh, I think. And then the second thing is that, um, um, yeah, like I said, you can you can make it worthwhile for them, and you know, either invest a little bit in the house or uh, or give them a little like a share of the profits. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And you know, if you pick the right the right location and the the right house and, and find somebody that you can work with, you know, there's a lot to go around, right? You know, this, it's not necessarily, um, a zero sum game because the property owner can also facilitate, you know, make it easier for you to, to make more money with the, the listing. You know, if he gives you permission to make some improvements and, and you're able to, to easily get people in and out and not have to worry about it, I think, you know, being upfront with them and, you know, even if you have to give up a little bit of the extra money in terms of maybe some higher rent or, or some investments, um, um, it's, you know, you're dividing a bigger pie overall. And so, you know, that's a really good way to, to look. Yeah, and I think that's that would be my preferred way to go about it because, uh, I mean, you can obviously just rent a place and not let the owner know. Mm -hmm. But um, but then you're, all, you're always going to sort of 
have that worry that he's going to find out and then your whole business is going to be killed instantly right so yeah that's it's just something that i wouldn't really like to do unless unless i i'm pretty sure that the landlord is you know maybe he lives like far away and you know I, if i think there's there's a really really small chance that he'll find out then maybe i'll go take that route but if i would then uh, I think the neighbors are a big, uh, big issue. Uh, I think then you have to be really, really, really careful that you don't that your guests don't cause any disturbance, because obviously the neighbors, it's it's the same situation for them. There's no upside for your neighbors that you are running this Airbnb thing. So the smallest disturbance could lead them to try and block your business. And the easiest way yeah. to do that for them is to is to contact the, the landlord. Yeah, that's a that's a really good good point as well. I, I mean, I think it also comes down to a little bit of a trade off up front in that whether you're willing to invest the extra time to find a, an optimal situation. You know, there's so much diversity in in the layout of properties and also in the the types of of land landlords that you can work with. That you know, I think if you go in with a, a long term mentality and you you expect that you're going to have to work a bit to find a place that's going to be ideal. That maybe you know the apartment or or, you know, possibly you get to a place where you can rent out all the apartments on one floor. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of buildings in, in Rio that are kind of built, you know, narrow and tall. And, you know, each floor is maybe one or two apartments. And so, you know, if you can, you can sort of set yourself up there so that you've got a, an ideal situation where you're not going to, you're going to minimize the risk of disturbing the neighbors. And um, you're, you know, spend enough time working to find a, a property owner that's, that's excited about the, the opportunity to work with you. That extra investment up front is going to pay huge dividends over time because then you can stay in there for the long term. Um, and really build a business out of it. Exactly, and that's you know that's much more attractive to me to find a situation where you can build a, a long-term viable business and maintain good relationships with the with the property owner, uh, as opposed to always having to worry that you're you know you're going to get evicted or you're going to get in trouble. Especially when you're in a country like Brazil or or you know somewhere somewhere else where you're not too familiar with with uh with the laws and and you know you're you're kind of an outsider it's not a situation in which i would like to get into trouble yeah yeah definitely not awesome man so um it's been uh, it's been great talking to you eric thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on travel hacking and i think we covered some interesting points about uh about investment opportunities that exist because of airbnb and how to go about it um is there anything else you'd like to share no, it was, it was awesome to be here. Um, you know, if there's anything that I can do to help uh, with travel hacking, you can find us at abroaders.com and there's a contact right on the website. So, you know, I, I think that it's a huge opportunity to, to really lower the cost of being able to be there on the ground. Obviously, all the stuff that, that you and I were talking about in terms of, of scouting out locations and working with property owners, that's not possible if you can't get there. And so, you know, certainly you can you can buy a plane ticket, but there are ways to, to get that travel and, and dramatically reduce the cost. Um, and if you get to a point where you're scaling up and you're looking at multiple places, you know, you're looking at, at doing Airbnbs in a couple of different cities, then then the, the value is even even more important. So, um, you know, definitely reach out to us. We'd love to, to work with you guys and, and try and help you get some, some cheaper travel. Um, is there, Eric, is there any specific place on your website where people can go 
to find um, the best information on how to get started. Let's say somebody has never really been into points and is listening to this episode and think like, well, you know, this sounds like a good opportunity. Like, what's what, do you have a resource for people who want to get started? Honestly, the best resources is definitely the podcast. Um, I think, you know, start at the beginning. Our, our first shows are a little bit rough, but we, we cover a lot of the basics there. Um, and we're covering news and, and updates and just keeping, keeping you up to date on, on what's going on with the different programs and, and where the biggest opportunities are. So mm-hmm. I think the podcast is, is definitely the best resource. And, you know, we've got a lot of other stuff on the site. Um, should be pretty easy to find. But also, as I said before, you know, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you know, we answer a lot of emails and, and work with a lot of people on a, on a one-on-one basis. So, um, you know, happy to help. Awesome, Eric. Well, thank you so much. And with that, we are at the end of this episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. As always, every Monday and Thursday, we have a new episode airing. And if you want to find out more about Airbnb hosting, you can go to getpaidforyourpad.com where you can find all sorts of information. We have articles, we have a book that you can buy on Amazon, or you can also download the first free chapters for free um, we have a free audiobook and lots of other good stuff and um, if uh, if you want to check out the resources that uh, we mentioned in this episode then you can go to the show notes which are at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash podcast alright everybody thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time get paid for your pet get paid for your pet Get paid for your pet Get paid for your pet